This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. In particular, I have been looking at freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin. Sin brings with it bondage, and that bondage has effects. It can, the effects of it can linger on for a long time. And we have talked about the fact that if you have come to Jesus, your true guilt has been dealt with in the blood of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen and glory, hallelujah for that. Because you and I cannot deal with that. We do not have the uh, um, spiritual authority to be able to deal with that because we're corrupted by our sinful choices. So in Christ, sin which has caused bondage in our lives and its related uh, results has been broken because of the cross. And this means liberation in the individual's life in many ways, but especially we're talking about the, the inner person. We're talking about being liberated within the inner man and in the realm of freedom in the thought life or freedom of conscience. Now, we are leading in from Romans chapter 1. So let's read through from Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And this is where the impact has. This this is where it takes place. And this is the fundamental impact of sinning against God and sinning against the conscience is in this realm. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we talked about this word hearts. This does not mean the seat of emotions, as is commonly uh, the heart is described as, but it's, a, it's the realm of rationalizing. Uh, and the distinction often that Scripture makes when it talks about the mind, in particular, it is talking about analytical process, uh, as opposed from general thoughts, but they became futile in their thoughts. Thoughts, their foolish hearts were darkened. So hearts in this kind of usage would mean this ability to collect data and process things and be able to set our affections on the right things. Professing to be wise, they became as fools or became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This is the worship of creation. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature, uh, for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, this People have often said, you know, that this receiving within themselves a penalty of their error, which was due, this was, uh, remember back in the um, 80s, as the rise of the AIDS epidemic, that, that was a prophecy about AIDS. But 
But keeping within the context of the passage, this is this destruction of the conscience within that is going on. That's the real penalty that takes place. To reinforce that, Paul says they received within themselves the penalty of the error which was due even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, if you're reading the King James, to do those things which are not fitting. Now, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, we know that a passage such as this is not uh, popular in our liberal times. Lord God, we know that even we as Christians for speaking Passages such as Romans 1, within the hearing of the general community, Lord, can be finding ourselves in trouble with the law. Uh, we think of a young man just this week, Lord, uh, prominent here in Australia within the rugby community, who has spoken out, Lord God, expressing the penalty for sin. Not simply one type of sin, Lord, but quoting 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, speaking of several sins, and that as a consequence, Lord, pressure has come against the Rugby Union of Australia to penalise him and uh, withdrawing him from the league, uh, from the union, that his contract would be voided. And Lord, we praise you for that testimony of young Israel Folau. We know, Father, that he's caught up in a, a very kingdom now-centred ministry, but we praise you for his stand, and we pray, Lord, that he would be strengthened to continue to maintain that stand and that he would not uh, buckle under the immense pressure that he must have been under in this last week. Help him to be strong and to maintain a walk in love that demonstrates you to this world. But help us also, Lord, to understand with speaking up there may be a cost and to be prepared to weigh up that cost and count it worthwhile. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So just a really uh, quick recap, but this, this is because this is the final... Uh, one of this section which we're looking at. The established order of Romans 1, that God is not hidden from his creation. You can see that in, in within the passage we just read. I won't go over the verses. And as a result of that, they knew God. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. And there is an immediate impact within their thoughts and their hearts were darkened. Uh, they knew God, they professed their own wisdom, they defiled or defied the, the or deified rather the creation above the creator. Um, I mean you can see this within secular society which decries Christians for being religious on the one hand and talks about Mother Nature as if Mother Nature has some form of innate intelligence within it uh, determining how evolutionary processes will occur. So the established order of Romans chapter 1 essentially is that ideas within the thought life are followed by outward results. We must bear that in mind. And legalism, uh, in essence, flips that around because legalism places an emphasis on the external as a way of producing internal change. And that's what leads to the pharisaical behaviours. Remember, Jesus criticised the Pharisees because he said, you make large your phylacteries and you parade yourselves. A phylactery is a little box and you'll see amongst some of the uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews that they will still do this to this day. They have a little box that they strap onto their forehead and within that box 
is a little portion of the scripture and they will uh, write out a portion of scripture on a long piece of material and they'll bind it around their arm and uh, you'll see them going over that portion of scripture. I saw a man doing this in the airport one time going over that and Jesus criticizes them for that because he says you're, you're trying to make a public display of your profession of faith and your religiosity and, and demonstrate uh, this, but within you're corrupted. And so this is a really important thing for us to understand. And the idea of Romans chapter 1 is that within they were corrupted, so God added to that corruption because of their initial steps against him. So because they denied the creation and because they suppressed the truth, they became vain in their thinking, their hearts were darkened. God allowed that to occur. So then uh, we can explain human actions in two ways, that the external follows the internal, or another way is that the external is a product of the internal. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So scripture affirms what we're saying. In fact, we would hopefully affirm what scripture is saying. It's what we should be doing. Let's continue on. A little more um, recap. I'm going to go through just a number of points here very quickly. have... um, a series of them here. So, sin is formed from the heart to the result. Okay? From the internal to the external. The external actions are a result of that internal working. Now, that which is created, we talked about that which is created, that there is an objective creation around us. It exists. These things actually exist. We're not caught up in some uh, crazy 70s uh, hysterical kind of cult uh, worship where, where you, you know, nothing is real. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was a form of existentialism that, um, uh, that nothing is actually real around us. Uh, and that that it's all just a part of a giant, you know, the, the universe that we're in, uh, you know, it's it's a crazy thought. But the, I'm not, well, it wasn't called that when I was younger, you know, younger. Um, so that which has been created, and we, we have the Latin term up here, um, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God spoke the creation into existence from where? Where did that come from? This is what God desired to do. He desired to do this. He thought this. He spoke it. So the words were the consequence of God's thoughts. Now, even just thinking about that for a moment highlights to us the fact that God is personal. And by that we mean he's not your God and your God is different. By that we mean that God has attributes of personality. In fact, we would say that human attributes of personality are because God has put them in us. God has created us in his image and likeness because that's what he's done. God thinks and then brings forth into the external world. That's what the creation demonstrates. Now, the external world we're a part of was created out of nothing. God spoke, thought it and spoke it, and it was done. Now, man thinks, and he brings forth into the external world, but for you and I, there is a difference. We don't create out of nothing. We're shifting atoms around. This, this laptop, as, as old and slow and clunky as it is, and it's, it's dying every moment, uh, this, this thing is a reconstruction of atoms. That's all it is. And people have used their creativity to be able to do that and, uh, and, and structure it in such a way so that we can do things like this. So man thinks and then brings forth 
creation exhibits God's nature. Now, Eastern mysticism teaches creation is an extension of God's essence, and by that, you and I, therefore, are part of God, right? And that teaching extends its way into many, many different cults, uh, I would say, as far as uh, to cults such as the, the Mormons, for example, that teach that your existence now is is um, given the right processes, is only a stepping stone toward Godhead, Godhood, uh, that you can become a God in due time, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But in Eastern mysticism, you and I are an extension of the universal God himself. I, I think it's called panentheism uh, is the word, and it's, it's a word that means across and in all of creation is the existence of God. And, um, and so um, this is an, an Eastern, essentially an Eastern theology, and it stresses the idea of God in everything. Um, and uh, let's, let's keep moving. We're not, we won't get caught up on this. So man is affected internally. This is where we were leaving off last week. That man is affected internally by the external world. An example of that might simply be to punch someone. They will have a feeling of pain physically in their body as a, as a result of that punch. Then might come a number of other reactions. One might be confusion. Why did that happen? One might be anger. One might be retribution. All different kinds of things can happen internally as a result of that external influence. You can watch the news and you can go from, you know, the the cat in the tree rescued by the fire brigade story where you feel happy about it to someone being raped and murdered where you feel sadness and anger. You're being affected internally by the external world around you. It's important to understand this why. The reason is that you need to understand that you're not an island in the world without being influenced, that every day you're being influenced. This is what the propaganda machine of the mainstream media and politicians rely upon, that they can influence you by bringing across incredibly emotional appeals. If you listen to um, politics at all, You've come across the name of Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez and, um, and that she's just told us all in her Green New Deal that she wants to present to the American people, which is going to cost, what was it, Jed? Was it $60 trillion they're talking about? Um, a budget for it. And it? An insane amount of money that is unbudgetable. But she's, the reason for this is because we're all going to be dead in 12 years. And she said... Yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're going to have to work really hard so that we get to that fulcrum point there, so we can just tip it all in the right direction. So, now, if you listen to all this hysteria, you will be um, destabilized within because you'll constantly be in doubt with all this stuff, rather than going to the rock of our salvation and digging into the Word and building yourself upon. What he says about us, what he says about, you know, all this drama and talking about the end of the world only makes me think scripture is true. It's on the way. So man is affected internally by the external world. If you, if you do keep your eye on the uh, media and stuff, you will know that children, very young, primary school children are on antidepressants. Why is this? Well, it could be, I don't know, I'm a layman in this kind of stuff. I am no psychologist, right? And most psychologists aren't smart enough to work this out anyway. But it could be that maybe their teachers are saying to them, your parents and their generation have so polluted the world, you're not going to have anywhere to live as you grow up. I don't know. could be that. It could be that they've confused them with gender theory, all these kinds of things. All kinds of stuff. It could just be bad family relations, all types of things. But we're affected internally by the external world. 
from the internal world, thoughts, right? Man affects the external world. We said that in a different way before. God created from nothing because he is infinite. And herein lies our difference because we are finite, right? We do not have any form of uh, infinite capacity. So we cannot, uh, you know, and this is where the Word of Faith movement, um, Bill Randalls tells the, the story of coming out of the Word of Faith movement that when he went to, uh, one, of, he was in the Word of Faith movement and he went to one of the meetings and when he pulled up in the car park of this Christian meeting, um, the number plate on one of the vehicles of one of the pastors was, I am a God. Um, and he knew, he said, I, I knew at that point something was very wrong with this. Um, but that's where it leads, to that place of teaching these kinds of bizarre and insane things. So, let's examine some elements as we kind of round out this section. And this section is important, and you'll see why at the end as we introduce four uh, what's coming ahead in, in four specific teachings uh, in these coming weeks. So, we're just going to round up what we've learned in this series. We have learned that Christians are Christians by faith in Christ and are spiritually seen as being dead to the world. This is how God sees us. And if you read Romans chapter 6 and study it through, this is how Paul urges you to see yourself as dead to the world around you. All right? Uh, I should have clipped it. I've said this before. I should have clipped the picture. There's a fantastic picture of... um, uh, And the first one is, you know... It looks like two Mexican, uh, a Mexican guy sitting down against a wall with a big sombrero on. And then the second frame, there's um, the legs of what we'd assume would be an attractive woman walking past and the sombrero is still down like this. And then in the third frame, the hat has blown off and beneath the sombrero was just a, a, a skeleton. And it said, says underneath, dead men sin no more. And, uh, and that is a direct quote out of Romans chapter 6, for he that is dead sins no more. And so this is the position that God sees us in, that spiritually we are to be dead to all things and alive to God. Romans 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died or the King James says for he that is dead has been set free from sin. That is our spiritual position. We are dead to sin. Then we're to be as though we were raised back from death into the external world and we are to live for God. Now, second, we've spoken about the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is he that produces the fruit in you that you need. Would to God that we would get a hold of this principle so much. That you and I cannot, we can't produce this fruit. I've, I've planted some trees, as I've told you. I've got a couple of citrus plants ready for the new garden. And, uh, you know, they've been sitting in some pots. And they're amazing, those trees. I, I go out there. I never hear them straining. I've never been out there once and, and, and walked past and heard the, the you know, the little um, mandarin tree, uh, the little lime tree going, trying to produce fruit. It just never happens never happens. But that's what works is. Works, by its nature, is a person trying to produce fruit that he might be seen of God to have some kind of merit within himself by which God can give him a pat on the back and then he'll pat himself on the back to say, aren't I good? 
But the fruit of the Spirit is what God produces in you by the Spirit of the resurrected Saviour who comes to dwell in you. And he said, in fact, it's good that I go to be with the Father or else the Spirit could not come to you. Why? Because Jesus was dealing with that one-on-one with his disciples and, and that small collection of followers, but out of his resurrection and ascension to be with the Father came the condescension of himself to us in the form of the Holy Spirit that the universal church around the world and millions of believers down through history could be saved through that. That's why we rejoice. So the indwelling Holy Spirit in the inner man produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. And by this, we affect the external world around us. That's called letting your light shine. The very word indwell implies the, the spirit being in us before the fruit occurs. The spirit being in us before the fruit occurs. Let's get that in the right order. Amen? Whether it's words we speak, whether it is actions we commit to, let that be the spirit within us producing the fruit that those things would be the fruit, the demonstrated fruit of the Holy Spirit. Third, love is inward, affecting outward actions. This is also so important for us to gain an understanding of. Loving God... uh, you know, we, we've talked about this before, There is, and you see this in the Ten Commandments. If you have a look, the first few commandments deal with our vertical relationship with God, to love God. The remaining commandments deal with the demonstration of that out towards people. And it's no mistake that the commandments are put in that order, that first of all, it begins with us loving God. Because anything that happens on the horizontal plane, human to human, is not going to be of a right motivation without that first being correct. Now, um, Francis Schaeffer says that our love for God should be such that it reaches to a depth in our lives that produces in us contentment. It's almost underwhelming when you read that. You know, I remember reading it the first time. I thought, really? And I had to think about it. And think about it and think about it to come to the point where I really grasp that contentment is such a powerful, powerful fruit of loving God. That I am content with where God has me in life. Can you reconcile that? That you're in the right place in life where God has you at this moment? that the struggles you may have been through or may be going through are exactly where God wants you to be. Why would why could that be? So that we would take our eyes from ourselves and see the lessons he's trying to learn, uh, he's trying to teach us, so that we would take our eyes from what we see as our needs and trust in God at this time. And that we then, out of that love for God in which we are contented, we then love people enough not to envy. That can be difficult. We can look at someone's circumstances and be envious. There's no... Mistaking the old keeping up with the Joneses, it's a, it's a simple saying, isn't it? But it has profound truth in it. 
that you know, and, and it gives you that picture of someone who does something in their garden in the street. And so next thing, you know, then one person puts in a fancy-looking letterbox, the next person puts in a bigger, fancier one, and the next one puts in a bigger, bigger, fancier one. You know, and, and so on and so on. Keeping up with the Joneses. Love is an internal thing. It flows out into the world around us. It starts with us loving God, being content where he has us, and moves on to us loving one another so that we would not envy. The next thing that we've learned is that man is affected internally by the external world. And this will lead to other results. There's a lot of talk about um, our soldiers who come back from battle, come back from wars, and there are generally two different distinctions. There are soldiers who come back from some battles and they really, really struggle. And there are soldiers who come back from other battles or other wars who are able to fit back into society and function very well. And as research has been done, oftentimes it comes down to why they went there and the justice of the situation they were involved in. And so for a lot of those men who who go off to war, men and ladies these days, you know, who go off to war and they fight, that when the battle was deemed to be just, they're able to come back and fit back into society and function largely in very whole ways. They still might struggle with things, but when they are not able to justify why they went there, many soldiers who went to Iraq because of weapons of mass destructions, remember that? Remember hearing that in the media? WMD, you know, weapons of mass destruction. And then finally, after years and years, they discovered there were none. And many of those soldiers struggled immensely with that after finding that out because they, that nation was torn apart. Hundreds of thousands of people's lives were affected. Thousands of soldiers were killed over actually nothing. And the injustice of that led to many soldiers breaking down and having a deep-seated distrust toward their own governments among the allied nations and has brought a lot of division amongst allies as a matter of fact. Now, the blows of the battle from the external world, they fall upon us outwardly. And this can happen in many ways. A young person can face rejection at school. Um, a, a person can be ostracized by members of their community. Uh, we, we prayed about Izzy, Izzy Falau just before, receiving this incredibly harsh judgment from the Rugby Union Association. Sometimes it can be a missed opportunity, something that's come our way and we miss that opportunity. And, uh, you know, or sometimes it's a hurtful com- comment, a sharp word or, or a, a, a knowing frown of disapproval from someone we were earnestly seeking approval from. All of them come to us from the external world. They're, we receive that input through the sensory realm, you know, physically, through sight, through hearing, through touch. You know, all of these things are coming that way and we're processing them, we're receiving them. And if we, if that was as far as they went, if I just felt the touch or saw something, that'd be good. But you and I know that it goes in. It's the story of the um, pastor within a, within a community that a a uh, lady gossiped about, told a number of stories about that, that were untrue. And uh, the um, when it was revealed that it was untrue, the pastor um, confronted her about it and she admitted that it was untrue and he had a pillowcase with feathers in it and he said, 
I want you to open up the pillowcase and shake the feathers out. And so she shook them out and they scattered everywhere. And then he said, now I'd like you to go and pick them up again and put them back in. And she said, I can't do that. You know, they've gone. And he said, "Um, that's the same with the words you've spoken. The effect can't be brought back in. This is where social media is so dangerous, you know, that the effect of what you say, you know, behind what they've termed now the bully pulpit where you can sit behind your computer terminal and not engage, not have to look someone in the eye and and engage in the situation. You can say the most hurtful things about people, righteously as a Christian, and tear them down and the effect of those words will still, they're the external world going into that person's life, into them and affecting them. Okay, so this is where the real you and I exists, is in there. What you see on the outside, that's perishing anyway. It's going to go. You'll get a new one one day. Hallelujah. So that dodgy back, dodgy knee, it's all going. Hallelujah. But we can either say, when someone brings that kind of criticism and that sort of comment, we can bring it to God. This is where you and I as Christians, we have a a really pronounced point where we can be at here. Those words can come and we can turn to God in prayer and we can thank him. And we can, we can be honest with him. We can say, God, those words are hurtful. Those Those words are cutting. But I thank you that in receiving this criticism, it is a criticism against you. That's if our actions are righteous, we should say. Also, the Christian life involves active passivity. What was the example we gave in this active passivity? Mary? And what was... What was the situation we talked about with Mary? And what was her response? Let it be unto you according to your will. Yep. So Mary, you know. Mary could have responded in a number of ways. This is what freedom of choice is really about. She could have said, no way, God, I'm out of here. She could have said, okay, I'll go and sleep with Joseph. She could have tried to achieve this in her own strength. But instead, her response is to say, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your will. And this is what we mean about this active passivity, that you and I would be active in walking in what God reveals to us, yet passive in accepting that God does have a will for us. That we would accept that there are things outside of our control and outside of our intention They may not be. Do you think that a teenage girl wanted to be found impregnated in a community, very conservative community, that would look down upon her and would see her as having been whoring around? Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Destroy my credibility if you must, God. So, there are two things that we have to see. Firstly, that man has been created with finite limits. So we can't create as God creates when we think of, you know, the artist thinks of something artistic. They, they imagine things, they visualize something within. Then they take some form of media and they, they take those thoughts and they 
relay it, whether they get a welder and some rusty old steel and make something artistic, or whether they get a brush and some fine inks and, and paint something, whatever it might be. But they are taking these thoughts and then rearranging atoms. So we're finite. And as a point of this, we can't bring forth anything into the world. We are bringing forth creatively into the world, but we're rearranging what already exists. That's what we're doing. Now, a second thing that should equally be said on this is that our creations are evidence of internal thoughts. Simon has sung a number of songs for us, um, you know, some very moving songs. And, you know, if you ever talk to him about some of the songs he's written, they've come from, uh, you know, his, his walk with God. They've come from the experiences that he's lived and they've come from desire to express worship unto God and, and thanks unto God. They've come out of that realm. So it doesn't matter what it is. So secondly, man can be an instrument of death even after becoming a Christian. Now here is a very difficult thing for us to grasp. External fruit is determined by who we are yielding to. Let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 has a number of uh, very profound teachings within it. And it it teaches us this principle of of putting off and putting on. And this is an important point. Um, And so, if you have a look at verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Very similar to what we've been reading and what we've been going through so far. Um, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. Now here, Paul begins to outline this principle of sanctification growth. Here, this is where this paradox of the Christian life is. We read from Ephesians 2 earlier and that we're already seated with Christ. We're positioned with Christ, seated in a heavenly place. But we know we're sitting in a hall in Bradman Drive in Cranbourne West, So there's this paradox as to how Scripture sees us in Christ. And then Paul talks about us putting off former behavior and putting on new behavior. And he says, you haven't learned this, so put off this former lifestyle, the old man, verse 22, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be restored in the spirit or renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. So there is a process in the Christian life of growing that we put off these things. We can be the kind of person who can be an instrument of death. Somebody offends us in some way and we unload on them. Someone gossips about us and so instead of firstly and this is something i would urge you to really take on board when 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 you hear of someone gossiping having gossiped about you first of all ask yourself if there's any truth in what they've said it's, it's i'm not justifying their behavior but maybe god would use that unrighteous behavior to highlight something in you and ask yourself first of all is there any truth in that because 
that will change the nature of how you can approach that person. Because you can then approach them concerned about their gossiping nature and you can also be saying, I thank God that what you said came back to me because I realised this was a stumbling block in my life. Or you can go back to them and you can call them a gossiping so-and-so and this, that, the other. Your soul is condemned. How can you gossip? God hates gossipers. We can produce death from our hearts. So, three conclusions. First, loving and communing with God occurs in the inner man. I would urge you to approach God in prayer outside of simple rote communion. You know that, remember, if you're old enough, you went to school and you remember learning the alphabet up on the wall and we had to learn the, the phonics, you know, and, and say the a, b, k, d, e, f, g, h, i, j. You know, we had to learn this off by heart, and if you said that to young people today, they've got no idea what you're talking about, the, the phonics and phonetics, you know, they, they don't understand that. We had to learn the sound of the letters and these kinds of things. Don't approach God in that manner. That's what, that's what God is condemning the religious man who went into the temple to pray, and he prayed thusly with himself which I think is amazing revelation. He prayed this way with himself. His words were empty and hollow. That's, that's what it was. So don't pray that way. Every communication that we have with one another and every communication that we have with God, we should, first of all, take that step back when we're communing with God Take that step back from our wish list and our um, uh, pre-organized method of prayer. Take that step back and just take time to worship God. Take time to humble ourselves before him. Take time to worship him as creator and Lord over our lives. This is the essence of the Lord's prayer. Get ourselves into the right position with him. Creator, Creation. Lord, servant. Above us, below him. See, real communion and real communication never remains external. Every married couple understands this, that there is a sharing of hearts that takes place. That there's, a, there's sometimes unspoken things that go between a couple, which is a real depth of communion. Between a, a father and son, between parents and children. That sometimes it's the unspoken things which are so deep. Between good friends. And so real, understand this, that real communion with one another and with God stems first of all from the thought world. That's where it's coming from. So I'm not saying that we just sit and look at each other and don't say anything, you know. I'm not saying that at all, you know. But I'm saying that we should think loving thoughts. We should be kindly thinking about one another. When, even when we think that we have to rebuke someone, we should be tempering our hearts with love, first of all, for that person. The workings of the heart are vital to Christian growth. Now, the second conclusion is that the real battle concerning people is in the realm of ideas. All heresy... All heresy begins with an idea. That's, that's where it all comes from. One idea, at least one. 
why is it that we cannot fellowship with, I don't know, let's, let's pick someone, you know, in the, in the realm of cults. Why is it that we can't fellowship with people from Revival Centres of Australia? Why is it that we have no Christian fellowship with that organisation? Did I name someone? Oh, sorry. The reason is they teach heresy. They teach that in order for you to be saved, you must be water baptised and speak in tongues. Too bad for the thief on the cross. Didn't work for him. This is a heresy. It denies an essential element of the gospel. Okay? So... That heresy has come out of, first of all, an idea. An idea has developed that and has brought that to a point where a group would be seen by Christian orthodoxy as, with a, with a small o, right, Christian orthodoxy, would be seen as being an heretical group. So... The real battle, therefore, is in the realm of the mind. This is where ideas come from. This means that evangelism is not on the basis of a program. Evangelism is not just simply asking someone to say a sinner's prayer and then, you know, we can say, oh, we had 23 people saved, we got 23 cards filled out. That evangelism is really bringing the gospel across to a human heart so that a human heart is engaged with thoughts about God, thoughts about their sin, thoughts about hell and why they deserve to go there. Why they need to call on Jesus for salvation. That, that, that they see their sin as an obstruction to eternal reward. That they see their sin as being something of violence against God. And that they see their sin as being paid for in the blood of Jesus. That a godly sorrow would be brought about in their lives. So evangelism is this this battle in the thought realm, first of all. So that a heart internally is, is within that heart, as Paul says in Corinthians, godly sorrow is produced, leading unto repentance unto salvation. Where did that first of all happen? It happened in there. The repentance, the sorrow that led to repentance was produced internally first by a right presentation of the gospel. Then, thirdly, that true spirituality always begins in the thought world. The spiritual battle is always in this realm. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10, the the battle over strongholds and the tearing down of strongholds is not about us sitting around pleading the blood of Jesus and say, we tear down the principalities and powers. And It's not about that at all. Paul is talking specifically about strongholds of thinking that are torn down by the power of truth. And that we discipline wrong thinking by replacing it with right thinking, is what he says. And he says that's how we punish wrong thinking, is we replace it with right thinking. And he uses war-like language because it is a war. It's an inner war within us. The spiritual battle is always in that thought realm. And it's simply the fruit of the battle that is seen in the external world. That's where we see it. You know, you might have, for example, you might be holding on to a heresy uh, such as one of the ones we were talking about before and then you, through reading through scripture and and, uh, investing yourself into the word of God, that truth is, is uncovered to you and you repent of that error and embrace that truth and you experience the inner freedom of that truth. This brings us to the end of this section. Freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin. 
I can promise you that that these few messages on this, that's not the cure-all, you know, oh, good, I've seen that now, I'll never battle with any the uh, any of the results of the bonds of sin again. No, you're going to battle with it. You're going to battle with it. It's an internal battle in this thought realm. You, you will battle with your anger. You will battle with your emotions. You will battle with unrighteous words. Why? Because we're constantly being affected by the external world. You, you can't escape that. The external, you're in the external world. It's affecting you. I've, I've had people come to me and say to me, you know, oh, I really want to apologize to you. And I say, why? And they say, three months ago, you were looking in my direction and you turned away and I just knew that you didn't want to talk to me at, and you were trying to avoid me. I can't think of it. I'm, I'm not lying to you. I've had worse than that, you know, and stuff. And they've dwelled on this and becoming angry. And I've said, why didn't you just come and say, have I done something wrong? Why didn't you just come and say to me, you know, is there something wrong between us? Let's just clarify this, you know. Let's get this out. Because what happens then, that effect from the external world, from me turning away, because obviously I snubbed them because, you know, I'm not... I mean, sometimes I have a bit of a dour look on my face, you know, not always walking around smiling at everyone, you know. Hey, hey, how are you going? Hey, hey. Yeah, I don't always look like that. I, I can't help it. It's just me. It's the way God painted me, you know. So, you know, I don't mean that to look like a rejection because I turn away. But it was taken that way. Deal with it. Don't let that thing, that small thing within, become this battle inside that produces externally a problem then. Oh, he doesn't like me. So then we, we stop liking them. You know, we start turning. Because inside, there's a battle that's come from the external world. So we can't escape that. So we're going to have this battle going on forever. All right, It's going to be a challenge to us. And that's a rather innocuous little thing. Sometimes people are going to say very hurtful things to you or about you. Sometimes people are going to try and drag you into a conversation about someone else and try and hook you in. And at that time, you're going to have to weigh up within, do I stand up for what is right here or lose this friendship? And it's going to be in that balance sometimes that we have to say, and usually when we stand for what is right, we actually win the friendship anyway, if we do it in a biblically loving way. So, coming up, we're going to look at substantial healing of psychological problems. Now, this does not mean we're going to go into Freudianism or Jungianism or any such thing. Psychology is simply the study of human behaviour. So people have behavioural problems. And you and I, you know, <laughs> we, we can have some issues sometimes, right? Like, like before when I said uh, uh, turning away and that person became embittered towards me over that, right? That's a learned response by lifestyle of rejection, you know, or a lifetime of rejection, they've learned that when people do that, that's what it means. It's a learned response. That's a psychological problem. We can be healed of that. Substantial healing of the total person. Our substantial healing in relationships. And one that I love so much, substantial healing in the body of Christ, the church. Oh, wouldn't it be good if if the church was a place where people could love each other? You know? How many times have you heard someone say, There's no love in that church. I went to church, it's full of hypocrites. You know, I had a person say that to me once and I said to them, Yeah, well, if you're not there, there's one less. You know? Because, because we're all hypocrites. Let's just face it. We just don't know how much, how, how, to what degree we are hypocritical. That's all.
So these are going to be really good lessons in Christian living and show us that, you know, God's on your side. He's, he did not send his son into the world to die for our sins so that then he could give us a life of hell until we go to heaven. <laughs> he has died in your place so that he can redeem you and between now and glory, not only sanctify you in the sense of sin, but be transforming you into what? The image of Jesus. Hallelujah. From glory to glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.